Greetings and welcome to Stars and Stuff, the astronomy podcast brought to you by me, Richard J. Bartlett. In this episode, we'll review the news and planets, talk about Mizar, an easy multiple star that anyone can see, and then I'll grumble about the misrepresentation of the moon in the movie E.T. As many astronomers know, spring is galaxy season. This is great if you live under clear dark skies, but if you live near the bright lights of a town or city, you might be out of luck. So what can you see if you live under the light polluted skies? Fortunately, there are always some bright multiple stars to be seen, and spring is no exception. If you're new to astronomy, there's a multiple star you can easily see, and best of all, you don't need any equipment to see it. The Big Dipper, or the Plough as it's known in the UK, is a familiar sight to many. It's at its best throughout April and May, and can be found high over the northern horizon at about 10pm. The pattern, or asterism, is formed by seven stars, but there's an eighth hidden in plain sight. The middle star in the curved handle of the dipper is known as Mizar. Look carefully and you might notice a much fainter star very close to it. If you go outside at about 10pm and look to the north, you'll notice the dipper is hanging upside down. If you imagine Mizar at the centre of the clock face, you'll find its companion in about the 5 o'clock position, just to the lower right. This is Alcor, and it's been a familiar sight to observers for thousands of years. For the vast majority of that time, it was thought the pair was just a chance alignment of stars, but recent studies have hinted that they may actually be a true multiple star system. Both stars are about 83 light years away from us, and they're moving in the same direction in space. To be fair, so are the other stars of the Big Dipper, but Mizar and Alcor are quite close together, hinting that they may form a true multiple star system. That being the case, it's the only true multiple star that I know of that you can see with just your eyes, but if anyone knows differently, I'd love to hear from you. Drop me a line at astronomywriter at gmail.com. The pair make a fine sight in binoculars, with both stars appearing white and Mizar appearing about one and a half times brighter than Alcor. There's a bonus though for telescopic observers. Almost any telescope at low power, just 25 times is enough to do the trick, will split Mizar into two separate stars. The brighter star of the pair, called the primary, is about twice as bright as its bluish companion. Mizar has been a favourite since I was a kid, and it was probably the first double star I ever saw. Even now, I'll always take a moment to have a look whenever it's visible and I have the telescope out. Galaxies might be fine if you want to challenge, but Mizar is easy and almost anyone, no matter what your age, can enjoy it. And in today's stay-at-home world, you can't get much better than that. A new study has identified the first known permanent population of asteroids originating from outside our solar system. The objects are believed to have been captured from other stars billions of years ago and have been orbiting our Sun in disguise ever since. The newly identified asteroids are thought to have been present almost since the birth of our solar system about 4.5 billion years ago in a star cluster where each Sun had its own planets and asteroids. This is the case for 19 asteroids that gravitate between Jupiter and Neptune. According to calculations, their current orbits and characteristics can only be explained if these objects were not in our solar system at its birth. These 19 asteroids are all part of the Centaur family, located between the gas giants that sometimes behave like comets, and whose orbits computer models cannot explain or predict. Their current orbits and characteristics can only be explained if these objects were not in our solar system at its birth 4.5 billion years ago. 
Astronomers may have discovered a new kind of survival story, a star that had a brush with a giant black hole and lived to tell the tale. It began with a red giant star wandering too close to a supermassive black hole in a galaxy about 250 million light years from Earth. The black hole, located in a galaxy called GSN 069, has a mass of about 400,000 times that of the Sun, putting it on the small end of the scale for supermassive black holes. Once the red giant was captured by the black hole's gravity, the outer layers of the star containing hydrogen were stripped off and careened towards the black hole, leaving the core of the star, known as the White Dwarf, behind. As the White Dwarf makes its nearly thrice daily orbit, the black hole pulls material off at its closest approach. This is thought to be no more than about 15 times the radius of the event horizon, the point of no return. The stellar debris then enters into a disk surrounding the black hole and releases a burst of X-rays. It's been predicted that gravitational waves will be emitted by the black hole and white dwarf pair, especially at their nearest point. The Hubble Space Telescope has provided astronomers with the sharpest view yet of the breakup of Comet Atlas. The telescope resolved roughly 30 fragments of the fragile comet on, on the 20th of April and 25 pieces on the 23rd of April. The comet was first discovered in December 2019 by the Atlas Robotic Astronomical Survey System in Hawaii. It brightened quickly until mid-March, and some astronomers initially anticipated that it might be visible to the naked eye in May to become one of the most spectacular comets seen in the last two decades. However, the comet abruptly began to get dimmer, leading astronomers to speculate that the icy core may be fragmenting, or even disintegrating. Atlas's fragmentation was confirmed by an amateur astronomer who photographed around three pieces of the comet on the 11th of April. The Hubble Space Telescope's new observations of the comet's breakup on the 20th and 23rd of April revealed that the broken fragments are all enveloped in a sunlight-swept tail of cometary dust. These images provide further evidence that comet fragmentation is probably common and might even be the dominant mechanism by which the solid icy nuclei of comets die. Using advanced techniques, scientists have detected organic compounds containing nitrogen in Martian meteorites that were ejected from Mars's surface about 15 million years ago, proving that evidence for early life can be preserved and detected today. This organic material has most likely been preserved for 4 billion years. Because carbonate minerals typically precipitate from the groundwater, this finding suggests a wet and organic-rich early Mars which could have been habitable and favourable for life to start. The Sun is an ever-changing star. At times, numerous dark sunspots cover its visible surface. At others, the surface is completely empty. However, by cosmic standards, the Sun is extraordinarily monotonous. For the first time, scientists have compared the Sun with hundreds of other stars with similar rotation periods and other fundamental properties. Most of them displayed much stronger variations. This raises the question of whether the Sun's feebleness is a basic trait or whether our star has merely been going through an unusually quiet phase for the past several millennia. Let's take a look at what's happening with the Moon and planets for the first 10 days of May. Mercury and Uranus are lost within the Sun's glare, but Venus is growing visibly larger and slimmer through a telescope. By the end of April, it had grown to 38 arc seconds in diameter and was 24% illuminated. It'll be 45 arc seconds and just 17% illuminated by May the 9th. It also slips about 5 degrees closer to the Sun during this time, but will remain 34 degrees east of the Sun by the 9th. This means it's still visible for a few hours after sunset, giving you the perfect opportunity to see our closest planetary neighbour in its crescent form. 
You've only got about three weeks before Venus disappears from view. It'll be gone by the end of the month, leaving the evening sky completely devoid of any planets. Be sure to catch it while you can in the west after sunset. By the way, if you're new to astronomy, it's worth mentioning that you'll need a telescope or a larger set of binoculars to see Venus this way. It will only appear as a brilliant white star-like point of light with just your eyes. Next up is Jupiter, but you won't catch sight of that until the early hours of the morning. It's nearing the eastern edge of the southern constellation of Sagittarius and will be at its best in July. Saturn follows about an hour after Jupiter. The ringed planet is on the western edge of Capricornus and just under 5 degrees away from Jupiter. Got a pair of binoculars? You should be able to fit both planets within the same field of view. Look carefully and you'll see up to four stars lined up on either side of Jupiter. These are the four largest moons of the planet, Io, Europa, Ganymede and Callisto. Mars rises at about 3am and is gradually increasing in apparent diameter. It now appears 8 arc seconds wide, compared to 6 about a month ago. It's brightening too, compare it to Saturn and see which one appears brighter. Mars, Jupiter and Saturn can all be easily seen around 5am. Jupiter is the brightest of the three, with fainter Saturn a little to its right. You'll find those two over the south, southeastern horizon. Copy Mars hangs over the southeastern horizon. The moon turns full on the 7th, among the faint stars of Libra, the scales, and doesn't pass close to any planets before the 10th. However, it will interfere with the Eta Aquarid meteor shower, which reaches its maximum on the evening of the 5th and the early hours of the 6th. This is a fairly major shower, with a maximum of about 50 shooting stars an hour, under ideal conditions. Unfortunately, it's also a shower that's best seen from the southern hemisphere, and with the moon almost full, you're not likely to see that many. However, the shower can produce some fairly bright meteors, so it could still be worth looking out for. There's clearly a fantastic, magical and mysterious aspect to the universe that's apparently hiding in plain sight. I say this because it seems like every time I watch a movie where the moon and stars are depicted, it's a lot different from the moon and stars I see in the night sky. Take the movie E.T. for example. There's a scene near the beginning where E.T. has fled into the suburbs of a city, Los Angeles we presume, because his alien buddies have left him behind and those faceless men with the jangling keys from the unidentified government agency are chasing him. He hides in the garden shed, among the tools and, presumably, some spiders and a fair number of cobwebs. Elliot comes out of the house and hearing a noise goes to the shed to investigate. Unfortunately, by this time I'm already a little distracted. Not because I'm wondering if the extraterrestrial germs E.T. is carrying could wipe out all life on Earth, but rather because the moon is all wrong. It hangs there in a darkening twilight sky, partly obscured by cloud and with a layer of mist clinging to the ground for additional spookiness. The problem is, the moon is facing the wrong way. This scene takes place in the early evening, which means the crescent should be curved like a capital D and not a capital C as it appears in the movie. You only get a capital C crescent moon in the morning twilight, not the evening. Hmm. There are a few possible explanations for this, but I'll come back to those in a moment. There's another problem we have to consider first. A few scenes later, Elliot decides to go back out to the garden shed. It's supposed to be a few hours later, but the moon is now higher in the sky. Wait a moment, that's impossible. Let's assume it's a waxing crescent moon and it's supposed to be the evening. The crescent moon is actually setting when it appears in the evening sky, not rising. So if this is a few hours later, it should be lower and closer to the horizon. Except it's not. It's higher. 
perhaps it's not actually just a few hours later, but rather early morning. It's not implied by the story, but it would explain why there's a capital C crescent moon in the sky. However, it would also totally invalidate the previous scene as a crescent moon, whether it's a capital C or a capital D, can never appear in both the evening and morning sky within the space of just 24 hours. Clearly the moon is not obeying the laws of physics in the ET universe. I said there was a possible explanation. If you lived in a land down under, say Australia, you'd see a capital C in the evening, just as it's depicted in the movie. I can't easily explain why in a podcast with no pictures, suffice it to say it's because you're in the southern hemisphere and the moon appears upside down there, because, well, you're in a land down under. In other words, the movie E.T. doesn't happen in Los Angeles, it happens in Australia. Maybe Melbourne. Although that doesn't explain A, the crescent moon still rising, or B, why everyone talks of an American accent when they're living in Australia. The movie E.T. came out in 1982, and about halfway through the movie we have the whole Halloween thing, when Elliot takes E.T. out into the woods so he can try phoning home. So I'm going to give Steven Spielberg a little credit here. If we look at the night sky on October 22nd, 1982, we see that there was a crescent moon in the evening sky that night, and it looks like the one in the movie, apart from it facing the wrong way of course. And yes, the moon was nearly full on Halloween that year. Incidentally, the moon is the right way up on Halloween, so I guess that discredits the Australia theory. So either the movie makers just messed up the crescent moon or ET takes place in an alternate universe, one where the earth rotates clockwise, the sun rises in the west and sets in the east, and the moon orbits the earth in the opposite direction. This is actually the most plausible explanation. That being the case, then yes, you would have a capital D shaped crescent moon on October 22nd, 1982. However, although it would appear in the evening sky in this alternate universe, it still wouldn't be rising a few hours later. There's some circumstantial evidence for the alternate universe theory though. The characters of Star Wars appear in the movie, from the toys Elliot plays with to the kid dressed as Yoda on Halloween. This is not a coincidence, as the movie must have happened in the same universe as Star Wars. Don't believe me? Force yourself, pun intended, to watch episode 1, The Phantom Menace. There's a scene in the Galactic Senate where they're calling for a vote of no confidence in the Chancellor. There's a lot of shouting and arm waving as they all call to vote now, and in the bottom left corner you'll notice a small delegation of extraterrestrials from E.T.'s homeworld. Maybe the truth is stranger than fiction, and maybe only Steven Spielberg and George Lucas know the truth. Incidentally, I said before that I'm a nerd who loves astronomy and sci-fi. If there was any doubt before, I'm pretty sure this episode has proven it. So here's this episode's trivia question. You can get over 700 like it from my book, The Daily Astronomical and Space Quiz Book, which is available on Amazon in both paperback and Kindle format. So here it is. The northern continent of Venus is named Ishtar Terra, but who was Ishtar? Was it A, the Babylonian goddess of love, B, the Egyptian goddess of the sky, C, the Greek goddess of war, or D, the Roman Earth Mother? As always, I'll give you the answer in a few moments. The answer to the trivia question is A, the Babylonian goddess of love. Ishtar was associated with the planet Venus and also represented war, justice and political power. 
That's it for another episode. As always, if you liked it, please subscribe and tell your friends. You can find Stars and Stuff on the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, Apple and Google, among others, or by going to tinyurl.com forward slash snspod. If you're interested in my books, you can find them at tinyurl.com forward slash rjbamazon us in the United States and tinyurl.com forward slash rjbamazon uk in the United Kingdom. You're also welcome to email me at astronomywriter at gmail.com with any comments or questions you might have. And don't forget to come join the Stars and Stuff Facebook group at tinyurl.com forward slash SNS Facebook group. Thanks for listening, and until we talk again, clear skies to you.